Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vadnell, Australian physiotherapist and calisthenics expert. Meet Summer, a woman who is setting the bar high in calisthenics. With her incredible strength, flexibility and balance, she leads by example, teaching others to master calisthenics and expand their limits. Why did you choose calisthenics over every other type of fitness out there? So I really wanted to learn the pull-up. And then the fire from that started because so many people were like, girls can't do pull-ups. And like to my face, we're like, girls can't do pull-ups. And I was like, I'm going to learn a pull-up. Like I have to learn it. Now that you're telling me girls can't, um, it's time. And honestly, like that's still a big comment that I receive. Like my most popular video on YouTube and my first reel to hit a million were just about girls can do pull-ups and not girls compared to boys or anything like that. It's just, we can do pull-ups. And the amount of debate under whether or not a girl can do a pull-up is still crazy to me. Like it's, it's, it's very crazy with the amount of girls who are even doing muscle-ups nowadays for that to still be a debated topic. Why do you think that misconception exists at large with girls can't do calisthenics? I think it stems from our language without it. Like I think people use girl as a weakness without like the term, like you throw like a girl, you're doing girl push-ups, and they're just saying it because that's what was taught to them without realizing that they're telling girls that they're weak. And they're also most of the time making it harder for beginner males to enter too, because the males are like, I don't want to do a modified push-up because that's a girl push-up. So then they end up having to do push-ups that are too hard instead of doing the modified one, or they're using like slang for female body parts to say that they're weak or they need to like man up. And I think that that language just around basic entry level makes it really hard for girls to feel empowered or even guys who want girls, their girlfriends stuff to get started in it, they need to be mindful of how they're using the term girl because if they're telling their girlfriend they're just automatically weak, it's gonna be really hard to enter that. Yeah, and I think that the way that compliments are given can also have shortcomings too. I can imagine if I was a woman, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes and someone said the statement, you're strong for a girl, you're strong for a woman, that would rub me the wrong way. I'd want to be told you're strong. Somehow you're just strong. Yes. And I think that matters too for like tall people and short people as much as it matters for gender as well. But like, if you're like, oh, you're really, you're really strong for a tall person. Like, no, you can just be, you can just be strong. You don't need to compare people to other people around them. Just congratulate them on their accomplishments for their own goals. What would you say so far are your proudest accomplishments in calisthenics? I feel, okay, this is like an interesting question because nothing like compares to beginner games. Like your first pull-up, celebrate it. Like celebrate being a beginner because as you mature as an athlete, you just come to a place, at least for myself, I'm just proud of myself in general. I take actions that make me proud. I'm working on goals like right now I'm working on muscle up to handstand push up on a bar. And even though I haven't accomplished that skill, I'm I'm proud. Like I'm proud I'm working towards it. And I just have this knowledge that I'm going to achieve my goals. So it's just like a constant state of like being proud. Whereas when you're a beginner, you're like waiting to be proud to get that first pull up or your first handstand. And so those moments feel so much larger, at least in my journey than the things that I've achieved now. But if you're looking at like general skills in the last year I got my like 10 muscle ups in a row which was my major year goal 
although they will get cleaner with time. And then um, handstand push-ups, nose to the ground for like seven to eight, human flag, um, zombie press for handstand, that one feels pretty cool. And getting on your podcast. That's a pretty cool calisthenics accomplishment. Chuck it on the list as well. It's the the more uh, business-orientated goal that you've unlocked. Well-deserved too. Thank you. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you've come across when working towards these calisthenic strength skills? Biggest challenges? I would say biggest challenge would be simplifying um, the amount of goals that I have to make sure that I'm really going to achieve that skill and like not getting distracted by what other people are doing just really being clear on what path I'm on and simplifying everything to match that goal yeah and that's what I really admire with how you approach your training is given the overwhelming amount of options exercises variations that we can work on you always go I'm going to work on these things for this whole year and it's only a few things Mm mm-hmm And that's just because my first year, I was like, I'm going to do everything. And I just, the whole first year of calisthenics, I mean, I could only do like about 10 minutes a day because my wrist needed strengthening. Um, But I was just like, I'm going to do little bits of every single thing, which in like in the end ended up setting me up for where I'm at today. But it was harder to like achieve things when you're like all over the place and getting distracted. Yeah. What advice do you have for people that, can't overcome that they always change their workout change their exercises how can we stay focused and make really solid progress i think if somebody's struggling with that it's time to get like a seven day calendar and every single week write your goals i like to have my main goal and then the opposite muscle group to support that goal so we maintain structural balance so if i have a a pulling goal i'll also write down like a pushing goal that's going to help create like structural balance within if I'm trading for that goal. Um, but every seven days, like writing out, what am I working towards? That way it's always top of mind. And then when you see people doing crazy things on Instagram, you can just support them and be proud for them without adjusting all of your goals to match what they're doing. Cause you're like, I know where I'm going. I'll celebrate you over there, but I'm going this way. So it's time to actually write down what are your goals and keep them fresh until that becomes like, write them down all the time until that becomes second nature. That's fantastic advice because then you can actually tick off the goal once you eventually get to it. I feel most people are in this constant state of, oh, I'm working on this, but I'm also trying to do that. And they essentially spin their wheels. Yeah, or the reason I started writing them out every seven days was I would hear people say this and I was saying it as well at the start of my journey. And it's that I always do this, but I'm not getting better. And then when you start to actually write it out, you'll see like, are you really always working on your handstand? Did you work on it once this week? And then you'll start to see the pattern that, oh, maybe you actually weren't working on the goal enough to actually improve. And then you can create adjustments that way. Because I remember I used to be like, I work on my middle splits all the time. And then when I started writing it down, I was like, I did it twice this month. Of course I didn't improve, you know? That's great. And then with that reflection, you can also see what fat you can trim from your program. You're seeing exercise. Why, why am I doing this exercise if it doesn't serve this goal? It's just making me tired. So that can also help too. 
Yeah, and then by reviewing all the time as your life changes, you can adjust your goals as well. So if, if something happens where you can't go to the gym anymore, instead of being upset that maybe you can't work towards like a human flag because you don't have like a proper system for it, um, now you can review your goals and update them to match your current life situation. Can you explain how ego can hurt our ability to improve and why we should embrace regressions at times? So I feel like this is this is a big issue when it comes to learning skills. And it's definitely something that I have done. And that's why I implemented my 80% conditioning, 20% play. And that's because when we want to do handstands, like you want to do handstands, like you want to practice them and fall and fall and fall. Like obviously you don't want to fall, but you're falling. And that's really fun and like rewarding for a little bit, actually trying the handstand. But in order to get better at it, we need to do some conditioning work so that the next time we play, the next time we work on our handstand, we actually improve. Whereas if we're only failing, if we're only like, oh no, I don't need those conditioning drills, I can do this. It's going to be really hard to progress that way. Yeah, so you need a certain element of success relative to failure. It's like a sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah, for sure. And I think too, like lots of people are like, oh, don't try this skill until you have this much strength. You've ticked off, you can do 40 push-ups, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, try, explore. We have different bodies. So it's nice to actually be willing to fail and be willing to explore because you don't actually know how your body is going to react to the skill. Because I've seen people like, I train at a climbing gym because I like the performance-based atmosphere. And I've had people who I'm like, you could definitely muscle up. You've never done a dip, but I know you could muscle up. And to be like, oh, come try, come try. And they're like, oh no, I can't do it. Like I haven't done the conditioning. I'm like, for sure you can do it. And then they do it first try. But if their ego didn't allow for them, for that, for the play, for the potential failure, they wouldn't have gotten the reward of like, oh my God, I can do this. How do you integrate play into your training? I typically do play at the start, like after warm up. So I, for me, most of the time play means handstands or like doing some cartwheels or like trying to learn how to back handspring, which I can't do. Um, but doing those sort of movements for just like the 20% of the time. And then I'm like, okay, now onto conditioning, which will help me with the play. The play for me is the reward of the conditioning. It's the utilizing the strength, enjoying the movement instead of just doing endless pull-ups, push-ups, dips, squats, and shoulder presses. You know, it's, it's the reward of the conditioning. Right, it's like, what is the end I guess, goal of training period. And for you, it's the ability to move your body in these fun, exciting ways. And it does make more sense to put that at the start when you're fresh and you can practice it in a non-fatigue state and you can choose how much or how little to do. And by doing that in a strategic way, you get the enjoyment, but then you can also get down to business and do the conditioning, which is required to play in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then in the in the summertime like it will change like maybe i'm not doing the handstands in the summertime maybe my play is actually learning how to wake surf for the first time because my conditioning in calisthenics learning how to coordinate my entire body actually helps me pick up new sports all the time which is so so rewarding to me yeah and it's just that is the big joy of a calisthenics practice because we're getting more in tune with our body awareness and just strength of moving our body it has a good transferability to these other fun activities as well. 
Mm-hmm. So then like say in the summertime, you're like, you're out doing all these things and now your play was there and now you're just going to the gym and you're getting your workout done so that you can then go play more later outside of the gym. I don't know, that seems to work the best for me instead of it just being like just conditioning all the time. Yes, yes. It allows you that mental and physical break from what you love most. But without that, if it was just the monotony of always training, no off season, no break in the summer, I imagine it would make it more difficult to just constantly be doing it. Yeah, that's how I feel. What advice would you give for people to approach balance skills in an optimal way? Yeah, I would say for balance, make sure that you're actually conditioning. I wasn't conditioning. I was like, I'm going to try and kick into a handstand five days a week. That's it. And so it took a really long time because I didn't have good shoulders. I didn't have any body coordination. My wrists weren't strong. So I would say if you're starting balance training, also have supplemental exercises like working on your shoulder range of motion, working on your core, um, and you can try your handstands, but also just make sure that emphasis is on conditioning as well. And then I find that for balance, you need to do it quite frequently. If personally, if you take a few, like I take a few days off, it does take longer to get to my usual balance point. So as a beginner, I would say it's gonna be better to have like shorter training sessions more frequently, especially as you gain, you need to gain wrist strength and mobility, but it's gonna be better to do 10 minutes at the start of every workout day than one day a week, just for balance specifically. Do you follow a protocol like I have to do 10 minutes, this many sets, this many holds, or do you prefer auto-regulation of your balance? Uh, For the balance, um, I don't have it as strict. Um, I do prefer sets and reps. That's like my, the bulk of my training is still kind of bodybuilding style where I love sets and reps and I love to failure stuff and I love structure and the conditioning for sure. Um, so in handstands, I would say that's like a little bit more loose. Um, maybe in the beginning I had more structure and I was going to do sets and reps of whole times, track those whole times against the wall and program from there but now it's more like intuitive because i've been doing it for so long so if i didn't do a bunch of press training that week then that means i'll probably start my handstand with more press training that day it's kind of more um in the moment how does my body feel for the handstand component right right now with the conditioning stuff how do you approach your rep ranges and intensity Okay, so it it depends on what split I'm following. Um, I definitely love to have hypertrophy sets and strength sets. So it depends on the day. Like if I have, um, if I've decided to do two pull days in a week, I'll probably have one where it's lighter weight, higher rep, and one where it's more heavy weight. But I prefer to have a mix of the two. So I'm working on hypertrophy, but I'm also working on strength. And now recently I've need to, to become a better athlete, I need to start focusing on adding in some explosive training. So some really quick training, cause I excel at slow and controlled. And to be a better athlete, I need to start doing some more explosive stuff. But I do like to have the range of like a five by five strength set, weighted pull-ups, and then having like a 12, uh, like three sets by 12 reps of high pulls in addition to that. 
Perfect. I think that's a really comprehensive way to go about training to get both systems working from, you know, more of your top end strength to efficiently focusing on hypertrophy. And it's also just fun because you get to progress in different domains. I feel that most people would get a bit tired and feel a lot of monotony from just doing five by five, five by five, and then never playing with other rep ranges. Yes, I totally agree. I was trying to do one day a week was like purely strength and I wasn't enjoying it in the same way. Um, so then I started adding in like a two failure push-up challenge at the end, like trying to get somebody else at the gym to like high five me and we're going to go to over like a hundred pushups and we're just going to suffer together because that's yeah. fun. At least that's key. It is. I mean, you, everyone has a different way that they enjoy the training that they do. And that is mentioned all the time on this podcast and it's worth repeating once again, even if something is optimal on paper, but you prefer doing something slightly different, go for the one that's biased towards what you enjoy more because you put more effort in and it's fun because training should at large be fun. Yeah, it should be. And if you're going to stay consistent with it or you will stay consistent with it, if it's fun, like why, why are you trying to do something that's not fun to you or that you can't actually make yourself do like, What's the point of that? Unless you're specifically training for some sort of high level competition. I would say that's the only time where you're like, okay. A hundred percent. And the piece that you said of consistency just supersedes everything because as much as we like to geek out on low reps, high reps, this and that, if you're just consistent long-term, you don't miss sessions, you string it together over a long-term, you will trend up towards your objectives. Yes, I definitely agree. And like the way that I've trained, like I have had many people be like, oh, like, do you cycle your training? Do you ever feel not motivated? Things like that. I think having a training style that I love and having those goals, I actually haven't ever wanted to take a break. Like it's something that I look forward to all the time. So I think if you're really struggling with your workout routine and showing up, maybe it's time to evaluate your goals. Why are you going to the gym? What is the purpose? How will it make you feel? And then talking with a few different people to find different sets and different rep schemes and stuff that you actually enjoy doing. With explosive training becoming more explosive, how have you gone about approaching this with Carl Snacks? So I just, I'm just starting it now, mostly with weighted pull-ups. And when it, I've been trying to just do like one second up, four seconds down. Um, I find with that, it helps to have a metronome playing like on Spotify, you know, what a metronome is yep. so it ticks and then you can actually listen to it. And when you're doing your negatives, you can be like one, two, three, four, cause it's playing in your ears and that kind of helps. But right now it's definitely working on that explosive training is, uh, isn't something that I've nailed so far, but basically I've just been aiming to adjust my tempos to actually perform them faster and then adding in a negative i just am so much like oh i just rather struggle through it the entire way and make and really like tear my muscles and feel exhausted than like quick even though quick is quite hard of course i mean that's the inner bodybuilder in you from the early days but adopting a different tempo for explosiveness is key concentric got to be quick yes summer how do you manage your self expectations with the goals that you set for yourself i mean i feel like like i'm meant i love goal setting like i love it so much it's a practice that i learned in high school it's something i read about all the time so my goals 
are usually fairly reasonable and having getting clear on those i i just am setting stuff that i know i will achieve and then i also am okay to let go of things if they're really not working like at the end of last year i was like i'm gonna learn how to back handspring i can't do any any of that kind of stuff and i was trying to program it in and it was just like i actually didn't make time for it so although at one point i was like this is going to be a goal i had to let go of that goal because it was clear that that wasn't actually what was fun for me and so i'm personally okay with that with letting go of stuff if it no longer serves me and then just setting like goals that i actually know i will work towards achieving today's sponsor for the show is fitness faqs use the coupon code podcast 10 to save 10 percent at checkout when shopping on fitnessfaqs.com enjoy the discount and let's get back to the conversation i just want to highlight that summer achieved freestanding handstand push-ups seven reps that is a huge achievement that's strong by anyone's standards how did you go about Thank approaching you. this movement um well i definitely love bent arm for sure like i love bent arm skills so it was something that i really enjoyed training um how i structured it was in the beginning well one i worked on a handstand independently from my bent arm training. So, you know, have that solid handstand and then working on like leaning forward in your handstand and returning to your proper line. So working on that independently and then working on the strength. So using a wall, doing chest to wall, extended range of motion, negative handstand pushups was where I spent the majority of my time at the start. And then once I kind of got strong at that, I moved to doing freestanding, extended range of motion, handstand pushups, and then working the top position. Um, so just touching my nose down onto my water bottle, like go handstand, mini handstand push-up, touch the water bottle. And then by working that bottom position, that top position, and having a strong handstand, one day they just came together. This is a tricky question to answer, but what was the time frame for you to achieve consistently, say, three to five rep sets of the freestanding handstand push-up? I don't know. I'm going to say a long time. Um, let me think about this. I'm going to say at least a year to get that. But at that point, I could already handstand. So if you're just starting yes. today and you're like, handstand pushups are my goal, well, you're going to have to actually just get a handstand first. I think I started intentionally training for it and then got it, I would say, just over a year. Right. Okay. I asked that question but just to just give people realistic I guess, timeframes because they would look up to you and the strength that you've built and they might think it came quicker, longer, a year. Okay. Yeah. Well, one thing I would say too is if your goal is a handstand push-up, make sure that you can already do at least a push-up because even when I just started, I was like, I'm going to do a handstand push-up and you're like doing half reps and I have many people reach out to me and be like, how come I can't do a handstand push-up? And I'm like, can you do a, a push-up? And oftentimes the answer is no. And people aren't understanding that um, you have to be able to push your entire body weight. They're thinking it's just a handstand skill. And I'm like, maybe get some, get good at push-ups, get good at shoulder press. Like if you can't shoulder press or do a Z press, um, you kind of have to actually build that pushing strength. What strength prerequisites would you recommend before people start doing those wall handstand push-ups, et cetera? Well, I would urge most people to work on negatives 
first and have an understanding of the form instead of like we've seen in other disciplines like CrossFit, the way that they do wall handstand pushups is different than doing like a calisthenics freestyle one. So I would urge most people to learn the form first and then do negatives, like do negatives instead of throwing yourself up. You're not maintaining proper form. There's no balance involved. So just really focus on doing those negative skills, be able to handstand, be able to have like, I would say excellent amount of pushups. Of course, there's other, like it's a, it's more vertical as well. So you would have to have a strong shoulder press, but lots of calisthenics athletes aren't working on their shoulder press. So I feel like I don't have a good range, specific range to answer that question. What would you say? I would say, yeah, a decent base level of push-ups. Like if you can't do 20 comfortably, you don't have even a surplus to warrant working on movements that have direct carryover being, like you said, an overhead pressing movement with weights or dips I've found to be the weighted calisthenics base that really helps with handstand push-ups. Yeah, that's very true. And I also, do you think... For handstand push-ups, would you say straight bar dips more or would you say regular parallel? I would go with uh, parallel bar dips just because it's easier to overload it. So although, as you said, straight bar dips, when done with tucked elbows, would have decent biomechanical transfer, it's just a bit awkward to load it up and go heavy. So that's why more often than not, people do the parallel bar dip. Yeah. That makes sense. I did a lot of straight bar dips because there's like this kind of other component in it where I had to know more where my body is and have more intention through my body. But you're right. It's way easier to load the, the parallel bar dips. This just goes to show that you could talk to 10 experts on calisthenics and likely you're going to get 10 different opinions of how to go about doing it. But to not overcomplicate it, I think we all agree that you need sufficient pushing strength in a couple different planes, horizontal and vertical, and then you also need the balance freestanding. Once you have that base with push-ups, dips, overhead press, a freestanding handstand, then you can justify doing the wall stuff, as you said, with negatives, etc. Yeah, and making sure you have good control of your core i'm not saying like you need to flex your core have it brace but have good like spinal awareness and be able to go from that arch to hollow body position so you're not doing a lot of compression on your low back while you're doing the wall handstand push-up so i would say definitely having like a good hollow body as well like in order to go to the wall how much does abs slash core training feature in your calisthenics practice i actually now that i share more pictures of me flexing I didn't used to but now that I share that I get a lot of questions on what's my ab routine like what is it and I'm like I do calisthenics I do I try and do all my exercises where I'm paying attention from my hip to my shoulder like right across my body I'm trying to engage and do all these compound movements and that's why I have like a strong core what I would call a strong core it's just because I'm actually using it in the in all the movements, or at least I'm trying to. So I don't have too much isolated core work. Um, I definitely love hollow bodies and arch bodies, but now at the level that I'm at, I'm not doing those quite as much. Do more things like dragon flags, 
But of course, when you're doing a dragon flag, your lats are working. Like it's not just core, right? Like it's still a compound movement and other things are being strengthened as well. So I think from other people looking in, they would think I do a lot of like six pack exercises, but it's more like the utilization of my core throughout my training. And that idea is shared by a lot of higher level calisthenics practitioners because so much effort is going into those compound movements. It's so fatiguing trying to be consistent, progressively overload, that adding more work such as direct ab training can impact your ability to give it your all in your session. And if you're doing, as you suggested, with just being mindful of engagement, tensing up when you're working at sufficient intensity, it'll be functionally stimulated for the task that you're training for. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, like when we get to higher level calisthenics, it's not often our core that's limiting us. As a beginner, yes, because you need to learn like where you are in space, how to control going from arch to hollow. But once you get more advanced, like I would say working on front lever, like for me personally, for my front lever to get better, I have to get better at pulling, I think, than get a stronger core. For sure. That's a big misconception and myth that you've just debunked there because people will see arching happening on a planche or a reverse banana happening with hip sagging on a front lever and you look at it and you think the direct cause is the core whereas you said it's often a lack of prime mover strength in the upper body muscles manifesting as form decay yeah what did you learn about the muscle up journey and what would you do differently if you could go back and start as a beginner i learned when sharing muscle up journey how many how hotly debated it is what a muscle up is like oh my god there are so such strict opinions on what a muscle up is that was a big surprise because there's there's kipping muscle ups like there is different kinds of muscle ups but i think people forget that there's progressions like there's a push-up and then there's like a knee push-up but a knee push-up is still a push-up even though it's not the full thing And so when people are learning muscle ups and sharing them online, other people are like, that's not a muscle up. Well, in order to get to the ideal progression, there's regressions, there's things underneath it. And I just didn't know that like so many people felt so passionately about what isn't a muscle up. Yeah, right. There is levels to it because you wouldn't see someone as a beginner bench pressing a barbell compared to someone that's bench pressing 120 kilos and say that the former is not a bench press it's the same exercise but we tend to as you said perfectly there we confuse a regression with not being the actual thing like is a band muscle up not a muscle up you're you're still going over the bar like i don't know maybe we'll uh we'll hear from other people after this podcast but that was the number one thing i learned and then um i also learned that like if you just work your high poles they're going to be so much easier. Whereas when I first started, um, I put a heavy emphasis on dips, pull-ups, and then learning the transition. And I always will. Like, I've still, like, if somebody asks me how to do a muscle-up, I'm going to say, spend a lot of time on your dips. Because I also like chose the muscle-up because it provided a purpose towards my dip training, like my pushing training, and my pulling training. So when I'm, like, like kind of getting bored of doing dips, I'm like, no, I'm doing dips because I'm going to have such a good muscle-up. But in reality, if you have a very explosive pull-up, 
you are going to probably be very good at muscle ups, right? You don't have to go through the like major dip portion. So I think earlier on, had I started working on explosive high pull-ups, that would have been more beneficial than just doing like heavy pull-ups. I would do lots of clapping pull-ups too, and then heavy dips. Um, And that there's a lot of technique involved. Like for me, I waited to start the muscle up until I had kind of like a higher baseline of strength. Like I was already at 16 high, like 16 pull-ups to like mid chest when I started muscle ups and like 16 pull-ups is usually pretty high, I would think to start doing a muscle up, but I waited until that point. And then I was like, I need to figure out this technique. I had never practiced moving dynamically. That's like where I have issues. So I needed to actually focus on like, where's my body when it's moving fast? Cause I actually got my ring muscle up first try and my false grip bar muscle up first try in 2016. But I didn't get a dynamic muscle up until last year after consistently practicing it for three months. Yeah, right. Okay. So it's, yeah. So the advice would be once you've got to say eight to 10 chest to bar pull-ups, you're better off working on that explosive nature because that's an inherent quality that's required with muscle-ups. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what I'd always say. Unless you're like, oh, I only want to do the false grip, strict, slow one. Um, then yeah, maybe spend more time on moving slow and doing weighted stuff and training your false grip. But if you just want like a really nice, fast muscle up, it's time to work on your explosive power, at least in my opinion. Perfect. And for the people that want to increase their muscle up reps, should they spend a block of time just working on the high pull-ups and then working on the muscle up as a whole, or do you combine high pull-ups in one session muscle ups in another what's your approach um so i decided for muscle ups that i was actually going to try muscle ups despite like i wasn't going to be able to do them but i was like i'm going to try the thing to get better at the thing instead of waiting to build this instead of relying on strength because i already had the strength when i started it so i would do like 20 minutes at the start my play portion of that workout was like let's try some muscle ups, you know, like I need to teach myself not to heel flick my butt when I'm pulling myself up, like just playing and experimenting. And then from there, I would go into the structure of like, we're doing typically I would do heavy weight pull-ups first and then my explosive training afterwards. Cause obviously you feel like you're flying once you take the weight off and you go into explosive pull-ups. Um, so I had like a day that was fully meant for muscle ups. So I would try the muscle ups. Then I have just like pull ups, dips, things like that. And then incorporating other exercises throughout the week to also complement my muscle up training. Did that answer that question? It did. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense how you're integrating the conditioning aspects as well as the joy of doing said movement because this comes back to our conversation piece about not delaying your satisfaction to a future date. You need to have some fun along the process, play with the muscle up a bit, see where it's at, see how your training's paying off. That'll, that'll fuel the fire as well. Yeah. And even if like, I know there's going to be people saying like, Oh, you should never chicken wing. So take that out and let's do like jumping muscle ups for your fun portion, like get the feeling of going over the bar and having fun with it. And of course you can like progress your jumping muscle up where you're jumping from more in front of the bar instead of behind it. So you're actually working on that C kind of shape of a muscle up, but like there's ways to be playful with the movement 
while you're still strengthening to get it. I've seen you popularizing that jumping muscle up and I haven't seen it as much online. Tend to seem more like band assisted stuff for beginners. What are the benefits of the jumping muscle up by comparison? Okay, so I've had so many people ask for beginner muscle up drills, but big to me to be a beginner at muscle up you already have to have a certain amount of strength it's not accessible to an actual untrained beginner and so i was like okay here's a way for an un like or a very low level beginner to have fun to go to a park stand at like a bar and just like slightly jump over it and that way they still get to to be playful and try these movements and jumping muscle up is just more accessible than being like, okay, let's use a band because the band can also be quite scary. If you use the wrong band and you don't have control of your body and now you shoot yourself up and I'm sure we've seen some fails where people fall and their ankles caught in the resistance band. And um, I just felt like the jumping muscle up was like an easy way to, to try it. You're maybe it's not the, like, and I said that in the reel too. I'm like, this is not the best way to get your muscle up. It's just a way to be involved. And I also, I've mentioned to other people, like I sometimes am scared to jump and grab a bar. And I shared that, like, I don't know why, sometimes it's scary. And I had quite a few people be like, I'm scared I have the strength to do a muscle up, but I'm actually scared to get over the bar. And I'm like, let's do some jumping muscle ups. You'll get used to getting over the bar. Like that helps with the fear-based aspect of it, right? It's that exposure to the scary stimulus, if you will, of getting up and over the bar. And if you can do that on a lower height, then you can get your body used to that motion without the height aspect, which is, as you said, scary for most people. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm definitely a fan of trying of trying the jumping muscle ups. How do you manage your nutrition to support performing at such a high level with Cal Snacks? I... I feel like the way that I think about food is definitely uh, not as common within the fitness community. Um, It might surprise most people. I don't focus on protein at all. I don't take protein powders, nothing like that. For me, like I focus on getting enough calories, having calorically dense foods. I only, I try to eat only whole foods and my main focus overall, like when I'm going to the grocery store is diversity of nutrient intake. And I find that going from eating a bodybuilding meal, how I used to eat, where I had the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I really didn't know how to cook much, to now where I'm like, okay, this week, I'm going to buy a unique vegetable. I buy like one unique one a week, like one that's not a staple. So some weeks it's like a random eggplant. Some weeks it's a cabbage, things like that. So I just make sure that I have a diversity of nutrient intake. I have different types of milks, of plant milks every single week. And that kind of has tremendously helped my health overall and make sure that I have like enough vitamins to support my needs. And then obviously I work out quite a bit. So I focus on like, how do I have more calories? So my oatmeal itself is a thousand calories because I'm doing full fat can of coconut milk and maple syrup. Yeah, it's just because like I also don't like cooking. So I'm like, oh, I have a thousand calorie oatmeal. I got maple syrup, dates. I buy different types of nut butters every week just so I have that diversity. And yeah, that's that's like the main focus. Nutrient diversity, getting enough calories, you know, adding some tahini into things, having some maple syrup before a workout. So I have extra sugar in my body to help um, perform. And that's kind of my ideology on it. 
How long have you been following that more plant-based nutrition style for now? I don't know the exact day I started. I have it in the archive somewhere, but I think it's been four years that I've been fully vegan. And all mostly plant-based or whole food. I'm not a big fan. Like, I just like when things taste like food. Like, I love air fried vegetables without any oils but that being said if i had if i worked out more that day i might add oil just so i have more calories within the meal and just be mindful of that um, but yeah my health my muscle size has changed tremendously since switching just goes to show the common principle that's behind any sound nutrition philosophy is coming from a place of sustenance as opposed to deprivation mm-hmm and I think that's the biggest change for most women is that like we often need to eat more. In high school and the my mom and my aunties and stuff, everybody was like, eat less, you know, eat soda crackers. And that was like the biggest challenge in order to get more muscular, to actually support my workouts and have consistent energy throughout the entire day was like, you need to eat way more food. Like you can't eat like a toddler. Like I think a toddler's, you can fact check this for sure, but I think a toddler needs like 1200 calories. So if you're an adult and you're eating the same calories as a very small little person, you might have to think about eating more. At least that was for me. I eat tremendously more calories than I did before. Who are the top three calisthenics athletes that are women that inspire you the most? I would say this is like an interesting question because there's so many amazing athletes who aren't content creators and I am on like a huge mission to I have a blog and I'm trying to get together all these female calisthenics athletes and put them on there as a resource for other people to connect with because being a good athlete doesn't mean that you're going to be good on Instagram or it's not where you want to put your energy. So I'm trying to like find more people who are just athletes. But the first thing that obviously comes to mind is Malin. Malin is an incredible athlete. I'm sure we all know her. Like she's such a good all around athlete and like everything she shares. I yeah quite like Malin. And then I'm going to say her name wrong, but I think it's Alicia. Have you heard of her? Yeah, and she was just competing with Malin, and she's quite young as far as my knowledge goes, and she is absolutely phenomenal. So strong, such a good all-around athlete as well. And then um, I just came across in my search to try and collect more athletes um, across Valentina Dimicelli. Gonna say her name wrong too. She has a beautiful front lever to plunge. It's absolutely, it's so amazing to watch her do it. So effortless. And then, I mean, there's also going to say her name wrong. Estephanie, just, she just did a one-arm planche. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And then there's, there's a few women that I follow who are just working on getting their first pull-up. And I'm inspired by them and their consistency and their dedication. So somebody doesn't always have to be the best in the world for you to be inspired by them. So I encourage lots of people to follow people who are like, maybe below your skill level, but there's still something to learn from their dedication towards their goals. We'll tag those female athletes in the show notes, but just to agree with your ideas there, that if someone is putting in the work regardless of their level and they have a perspective to provide, it might come at the right time for you and it could be a a huge paradigm shift. So just keeping your eyes and mind open to growing and expanding is is a key lesson 
If you could go back and start all over again, what would you do differently with Cal Snacks? I'm honestly so happy with my journey. There's definitely so many mistakes that I made, uh, but ultimately they led me to the point where I'm at. But if I had to be like, okay, very strict and actually give you an answer instead of a wishy-washy answer, I would say more time conditioning, less time just messing around, less time getting distracted by every single thing that you can do with your body. Like you, it's hard. It's going to be hard as an adult to get really good at tumbling and really good at rings and then really good at dynamic moves like freestyle calisthenics. So I would say just narrowing down at the start and then actually devoting a ton of time to conditioning instead of just playing, instead of just like ego, like trying things that were too hard. Summer, where can people find out more about your work? I'm quite active on Instagram. They're all Summer Fun Fitness. Um, I try, I have a website, summerfunfitness.com, where I have tons of free workouts just to try and actually help people. So if you're looking for organized matter, summerfunfitness.com, and then I have YouTube as well. Great chat. I really appreciate hearing your wisdom. Keep crushing it with Carl Snakes and can't wait to see you evolve. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. Visit fitnessfaqs.com to master Cal Snacks and become a bodyweight pro.